0: Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And we're going to stop right there. We're going to talk about this today. You know, the Bible says here, and Isaiah says that in the year that King Uzziah died. I also saw the Lord. And he he saw one die, a king die. But he saw a king that lives forever. And and there's no comparison in the two. He saw the Alpha and Omega. He saw the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. And he hears these angels singing, Holy is the Lord. In Revelation 4.8, You don't have to turn there, but it says, "...and the four four beasts had each of them six wings about Him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come." This is what Isaiah saw. This is what uh, Isaiah heard. And there was such a contrast. He sees the, the Lord on His throne so I just wanted this. Is what we're going to talk about this morning. He saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He saw him high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. The train of his robe, at least it appeared. It appeared to Isaiah that his train filled the the temple. What a contrast between him and an earthly king. And just just for our sakes here this morning, Isaiah was a contemporary of. Uh, Hezekiah, Jotham, Uzziah, and and one other. I forgot exactly, but he was a contemporary and he was friends with Uzziah. He knew Uzziah. Uzziah was one of the few. He was king of Judah. And he was a good king. Uzziah was a good king. Uzziah, it says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father had done. And so he wasn't perfect, but through his life as a whole, he feared God, he served God, he reverenced the Lord. God gave him a long reign of over 50 years. And at the end of his life, I just want to read this. When when he was strong and God had given him great victories, you can read about it sometime. Second Chronicles 26. But when he was strong, this is King Uzziah, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Then Uzziah was wroth, because what happened after that is is uh, eighty priests, 81 priests, the high priest and 80 other priests stepped into the temple to put a stop to this. He was wroth, and it says the king was wroth. And he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death and dwelt in a several house being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And so, even as wonderful as he had lived during his life, there's this notable sin at the end of his life. And uh, the curse was that leprosy came over him. He lived by himself, secluded in the leper house. The rest of his life, and he died a leper. What a difference. In the year the king Uzziah died, like that, okay? I saw the Lord also sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And I want to say to you this morning, church, and to myself, that our goal and our pursuit as believers must be to see the Lord. It must be to see the Lord. When Jesus was ministering in the temple, uh, towards the end, this is, this is like the third or fourth time he ministered in the temple close to the time of his crucifixion. There were some Greek uh, worshipers. They were standing outside in the court of the Gentile. They couldn't come into the, to the, the inside of the temple where Jesus was. They found Philip and they said, it says, they came therefore to Philip which was of Bethsaida of Galilee and desired him saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Jesus said, the time has come. He knew something had happened with the Gentiles seeking after Him. And it was time for Him to go to the cross. But I was just thinking about that. these They weren't content to be in the outer court of the temple. They weren't content to see some of the disciples of Jesus. They talked to Philip. and They said, they said Sir, speaking of Philip, we would see Jesus. In other words, we desire and long to see Jesus. And I would say to us this morning as as the the blood-bought saints of God, we must not rest. We must not cease. We must not be content to only hear about the Lord or to see some Christian things around us or to be involved in Christianity. A lot of people are involved in Christianity. They're involved in a lot of the things going around. You You and I must go deeper until we see Him. Every individual here. You and I must go deeper until by faith we see Him, until by faith we hear the voice of our Good Shepherd, and by faith we know that we have. And Nobody has to tell us, oh, you just saw the Lord. We'll know that we've heard Him. We'll know that we've seen Him. When, when Isaiah saw the Lord, he had seen kings in his life. As I said, he was contemporaries with at least four. And he, when he saw the Lord, he knew he saw the Lord. When he saw the Lord, he knew he saw the Lord. Nobody has to tell us that we've seen the Lord. And nobody had to tell Isaiah. You and I must go deeper and and know that we've seen Him. Isaiah said, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I've seen Him. And I was thinking about this as I was studying and praying. And you know, whether you're a football fan or not, you can get the picture of you know, if you were to go to Tiger Stadium on a Saturday night to see a football game, and people get there hours, sometimes days before. And there's all kinds of activity going on out there. In there? There's all kinds of, a lot of people. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of talking and commotion. And, and you can see things and smell the food cooking and everything like that. And if you were miles away, you can see the lights over that stadium from miles away. And you can maybe hear the PA announcer and all that kind of stuff, but if you're a if you're really a football fan, what's important is what's inside. If if you are, it's fine in a football game if you never want to go in the stadium. But I'm saying if you're a football fan, you want to see what's going on inside of there. And I think a lot of times that people are in our day and age, it could be with you and me, that we're we get very satisfied and content just with the little crumbs and the little sights and sounds around Christianity, but like those Grecians that said, Sir, we would see Jesus. That we need to press through all of that. We need to press through all of it. And keep on pressing on by faith till I as an individual have seen the Lord. By faith I'm talking about. By faith we see the Lord. And, And that's what God is after and that's what he will stir up in our hearts to where that's what we'll be after. But I want us to note a few things this morning. I want us to note the effect that seeing the Lord had on Isaiah. Okay, he, now it's important to know that Isaiah before this encounter, okay, was already a prophet. Before that, he saw the Lord in chapter six. He was already a prophet. He, I personally think it was a priest. There's some discrepancies on that whether he was a priest or not. It doesn't really matter. He was called by God and used by God. He was a prophet. He was a godly man. In other words, in the in the fashion of an Old Testament saint, like Abraham, David, you know, Enoch, uh, Samuel, they're justified by faith. They are righteous, robed in righteousness by faith. They lived before Jesus died. You can't say they were born again, but they were saved. And they're they in heaven today, and and Isaiah was this type of man, a righteous man, a man of God, before he saw the Lord in this fashion. And the Bible, how do we know that? We know it because God called him to be a prophet. And God, the Bible says, I'll just read it to you. I think it's wonderful that the Bible says that. Uh, the Bible says that the word of God came not in old time by the will of men but it came by as holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So Isaiah was already a prophet. God didn't just speak through anybody. He was a holy man of God that spoke as he was moved by the Holy Spirit before he saw the Lord. Okay? And... He, he pronounced woes and God used him. He's one of the major prophets in the Bible. Woe to Egypt and woe to Syria and woe to Israel and woe to Judah. And he preached these woes and he preached them afterwards as well. But seeing the Lord like he saw the Lord in chapter 6, what we read, had a profound effect on this man. There's no doubt about it. We're going to talk about this. Everything else suddenly became Secondary. Everything else suddenly became unimportant. Everything else seemed to vanish. And I just want you to picture in your own heart and life if you and I were to see the Lord like that, okay? The year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord high and lifted up on the throne, right? His train filling the temple, and the doorposts are shaken at the voice of the angels that are praising God. Uh, and he sees the Lord. And it's everything else seemed to vanish away. Everything else, every other thought and concern that he had vanished away. It, it would be that way. It should be that way. It would be natural to be that way in the presence of God like that. It's similar to when, when Jesus took Peter and James and John up onto the mount where he was transfigured before them, right? And, and they look and they just, all of a sudden, here's Moses and Elijah, and they're talking with Jesus. They're talking about him going to the cross. And, and Peter doesn't know what to say. The Bible says he did not know what to say. And so Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Well, amen to that. He so said, we're going to build three tabernacles or memorials. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he spoke, it said this cloud overshadowed them. And there was a voice from heaven that says, "Lo, this is my beloved son. Hear him. And and when they looked up and the cloud was gone, they saw no man but Jesus. And they saw him in a way they hadn't seen him. He was white, he was shining. It says so white so that uh, bleach on earth could never whiten clothes as much as he, he was shining in his garments and so forth. But Isaiah was overwhelmed by seeing the Lord how do we know that we're going to read because he said he was he was overwhelmed by seeing the Lord standing in the presence of his creator and this uncreated one hearing him seeing him nothing else mattered and i'll say to you and i you and me this morning that when you and i see the Lord nothing else will matter nothing else will matter and here's what i mean by that you won't care if if your favorite you couldn't wear your favorite shirt this morning because it was still at the cleaners or whatever. You wouldn't care if you got as good a night's sleep last night as you had hoped to. You won't care if the temperature in the building's a little colder than I like it or a little warmer than I like it. You won't care if the praise team just sang some of your favorite songs or they didn't sing any of your favorite songs and you're depressed about it. Uh, We won't care about any of that when we see the Lord. When we see the Lord, all that stuff goes out the window. And it should go out the window. Isaiah's response was one of he was overwhelmed. And one of the first things we notice is that he was convicted. He was convicted. Now remember, I'm going to stress this. He was already saved. He was already a prophet of God. A holy man of God that spoke as as the Spirit moved him. He was already saved. In a righteous man and serve God and live for God. If he died, he'd have gone to heaven. But he didn't die. He, this time he saw the Lord high and lifted up on a throne. And he was convicted about his own sin. There was a, a, a very keen awareness of his own sinfulness. His own sinfulness. Okay, His guilt, his uncleanness in light of God's holiness and glory. I know that you've heard this before, but I want us to hear it this morning. God wants us to hear it this morning. Amen. There was a he was overwhelmed, and one of the first things he noticed was his uncleanness. As a righteous man, not as a lost man, someone had put their faith in God, his uncleanness and guiltiness before the Lord. Now, I don't think for a minute that Isaiah had committed. Murder and adultery and idolatry. I don't think he had his whole life. But there are those inward sins, right? Even if he had kept the law and done the things rightly, there, there is pride and there's fear and there's doubt and there's arrogance and there's all kinds of lustful things that, are, that can be in the covetousness in the heart of man. And he was convicted. And the Bible says, And you know the Scripture in Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And that's Isaiah writing that later in this chapter. And so there is something that when we see the Lord... And we see Him as He is in that holiness. Not the little paintings on the wall that somebody might paint a picture of Jesus at the Last Supper. Nothing wrong with all that kind of stuff, but you know in your heart that cannot do justice to the Lord. Okay? Especially the way He is now, seated on on His throne in all of His glory. Because remember, He says, Lord, restore me that glory that I had before when I was with You in Heaven. And He is restored back to that glory, whatever it is. That's how Isaiah saw him. That's how John saw him on the island of Patmos when I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he had walked with Jesus three and a half years, and but when he saw him that day in his glory, he fell at his feet as dead, he was undone. Okay, and that's what it says. What Isaiah says here in in uh, in this account when he sees the Lord, he says, "I am undone." What does that mean? Undone. It means literally to be dumb, to be Brought to silence, to be speechless. Okay, I'm undone. It means to utterly fail, to perish, to destroy, to cease. So, the idea is that he is just done. You know what I mean? Seeing the Lord, and in this humanity, in this humanity, even in the righteous humanity, I guess you would say, as he was a believer in the Lord, he was undone. He was speechless. He. He was utterly about to perish. And like he couldn't go on any further. And the Holy Spirit, y'all, if we'll allow Him to, will reveal Christ to us like this. This is what we're talking about this morning. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us. When He's come, He will reprove the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. When He's come, He'll take the things of Christ and show them to us and impart to us, and bring to remembrance the things God's spoken to us. And we will have as well this sin, righteousness, and a judgment that the Holy Spirit brings about the conviction. We talked about it last week. An awareness of our own sinfulness. A keener. Awareness of our guiltiness before the Lord. There will be a contrition about it. That's very, very important. There will be a shame about our sin. You know what, y'all? There should be a shame about our sin. And I think we're living in a world where people are not ashamed of sin. People in the world aren't ashamed to sin, and people in church are barely ashamed to sin. They can do anything and just say, oh, the grace of God covers that. And they never came to a place of conviction. They never came to a place of contrition. Never came to a place of confession. Never came to a place of repentance and restoration. And, and they just gloss over it all. Well, there ought to be. If we'll let the Lord have His full work in us, He'll bring us along. doesn't have to take long. But He'll bring us along and there'll be a real contrition, a real humility, a real shame. Uh, I think like Peter felt. You know when Peter denied the Lord? And somehow or another, it was just God. He looks up in Jesus from where He is being persecuted over there, Jesus being mocked and everything and arrested and tied up and everything... He, he looks and they, they, their eyes meet after Jesus said Peter had denied the Lord three times and he went out and wept. Well, what happened to him? What's the big deal? Couldn't he just say, God, forgive me? Yeah, he could say, God, forgive me. But God was trying to break the man, humble the man. And and if we'll let the Holy Spirit deal with us, he'll have a full work, It'll be a complete work. There was a shame. There was a brokenness about his sin. I think sometimes, even as ministers of the Gospel, we can rush people past that. You know, just get to the joy of the Lord with your strength. And we take them, and they never have the work of the altar. They never have the work of the Holy Spirit dealing with their sin deeply. Deeply to where when you walk away from that sin and Jesus sets you free and you're cleansed from it, you're free indeed. You know what I'm saying? To let God do that. And so the Lord will do that in our own lives. And instead of demanding our rights before God, poor me, and this is unfair, and that's unfair, and I was was brought up in a broken home, and I was this and that. And when we realize our guiltiness of sin, we'll be pleading for mercy. We'll be demanding our rights about anything. We'll be saying, God have mercy upon me, a sinner. Like the uh, publican in the in the temple, right? beating his breast. And that wouldn't even look so much as look up at heaven, but said, God, have mercy mercy on me, a sinner. So God, if we'll allow him by the Spirit, same thing that happened with Isaiah when he saw the Lord, there will be a conviction of our sin. And I would say in our sinfulness, not just things that we've done wrong, but who and what we are apart from the Lord. Like a deep down, ugh, when Paul says, "In my flesh dwells no good thing. I'm a worm, I'm a no man. Well it's not the, it's not just the lost heathens the idolatries that say that. they think they're the greatest things in the world. It's the ones that come under the conviction of the Lord and God's <coughs> spirit moving in their lives and then God's able to pick us up amen? When we're a worm and a no man, he resists the proud he gives grace to the humble and we, we, we step there's a reverential fear, but for a holy God, a mighty God, a just God, He's the judge of all the earth. He's the judge of me and my life and my eternity. Uh, we, we have, as I said, a keen sense of our own moral condition in our desperate need for God's mercy to be shown to us. There's a knowing of my own need for God's righteousness and that mine will never do it. My righteousness will never do I can't spruce it up. I can't clean it up. I can't fix it up. I can't do better. I need to be better in my heart of hearts. And then the fruit of that will come out. And I'll be better. I mean, I'll do better. Uh, Paul said, and this is years. I wish I knew how many, but years after he had met the Lord on the road to Damascus and was saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, called to be an apostle to to the Gentiles and served the Lord. In Philippians 2, 9, Uh, In 390 says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. I want to be found in Jesus. I want to be found in the Lord, roped in his righteousness. And so seeing the Lord, all this begins to happen. That's why it's one of the reasons it's so important that you and I see the Lord and not just come to church. We have to see him. All men, in order to be right with God and to be with the Lord, His purpose is to be in Christ, must be brought to this place of contrition and awareness of our sin. And once there, once in that place, the Lord and the Lord alone, through Christ Jesus, can cleanse us and forgive us and wash us. Praise God. And He can do it every day and He can do it as many times a day as we sin against the Lord after we're saved. He alone can rescue us from this condition, not only initially and when we're, bo- when we're born again. okay, But remember, seeing the Lord and being cleansed and being for- forgiven and restored and convicted of our <coughs> sin and so forth, He's saving us daily. Don't forget that. We're saved. I'm not saying we're saved, lost, saved, lost. We're saved. When you're born again, you're born again. You're born again for all time. But He saves us daily. He is saving us. He's preserving us. He's keeping us. He's keeping us from going off the deep end. Amen. He's keeping us from, from going off into the world. He's keeping us from falling off into some uh, sin or unbelief. He's keeping us. We're kept by the power of God through faith, Peter says. And so, all the way to to salvation, all the way to heaven, to where it's all completed. And so, it's not just for a lost man to come to the Lord, but it's for for saved men to walk with the Lord. He's keeping us and saving us day by day. So after verse 5, if you're still in Isaiah 6, verse 5 where he says, he said, Woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the the King, the Lord of hosts. After 5, graciously comes verses 6 and 7. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. God didn't leave him in that state for long. He didn't leave him in this state, I'm undone. Remember the definition, he was dumb. He was speechless. He was ready to perish. There was like no strength left in it. He saw his corruption. He saw his moral corruption. In light of this holy God. And God had to do something for him. God had to help him. Amen. And I just said, wrote, hallelujah, what a Savior. What a refuge from my sin. Forget Isaiah right now. What a refuge from your sin. What a refuge from my sin. What a forgiver. What a, what a friend. And, and uh, this doesn't mean that, for example, Isaiah never sinned again after this. When the, when the angel touched him right with the and said, Lo, this is taking your sins away and so forth. Your iniquities purged, your sins taken away. It doesn't mean he would never commit a sin. I believe what it does mean, it would be the same for us when we come to the altar. That it means whatever sin we're convicted of at that time, when we see the Lord and we know that we're in God's presence. could be this morning. I pray it is. We know that we're in God's presence and we see the Lord by faith and He brings that conviction. Everything He reveals to us, every sin or sinful condition of our life at that moment that He reveals to us is forgiven. We confess He takes it away. The blood of Jesus washes it. Later that afternoon, I might lose my temper and have to ask God to forgive me. It doesn't mean I'll never sin again. It does mean the light of God's glory, whatever He shows me about myself at this moment, that's why we have to live in the presence of God. Amen? Not just every now and then. Uh, It means He forgives us. And when it says His sin means offense, offense and sinfulness. Iniquity means sin. So they overlap each other. Iniquity means evil, fault, sin. Sin means offense, sinfulness. But when he says that your sin is cleansed and purged, your iniquities purged, it means to forgive. I've heard people say there's no forgiveness under the law and there's no forgiveness in the Old Testament. Excuse me. God doesn't change. He, if people weren't forgiven, no, no Old Testament saint, there wouldn't be a soul in heaven before the blood of Jesus was shed on Calvary. And that, that gospel was preached. But there's forgiveness. It means to cleanse, to cover, to pardon, to be merciful, to put off, to forgive. That's what the angel says when he touches, when he touches Isaiah's mouth with this hot coal from the altar. It would just be a picture of what the blood of Jesus has done for us. And I said it earlier, this whole process, I don't think it took long. And I don't think it has to take long. In other words, God, we see the Lord however, when He reveals Himself to us like that by faith and then the coming under the conviction of sin and then the provision for sin and the forgiveness of sin. It doesn't have to take a long time. We just by faith need to, to hang in there and walk with the Lord. Let Him do what He wants to do. It doesn't have to take long. It does have to be genuine. On my part, it has to be real. I need to really confess. I need to really repent. I need to really trust. And I need to really call upon God. I need to really see my own sinfulness. That has to be genuine and real. It doesn't have to take long. And then let God come in and cleanse and, and, and so forth. So what I want to encourage you this morning is that you and I must see the Lord. And you and I must surround ourselves and pay attention to and occupy ourselves with what reveals Christ to us. This is a simple thought, but this be one of the two big points of the day if you're taking notes or, or listening intently. We must surround ourselves with what reveals Christ to us. And we must separate ourselves from all that distracts us from seeing the Lord. Everything that would grieve the Holy Spirit, everything that would quench the Holy Spirit's working in our life, everything that would distract or disturb or dulls our spiritual senses from seeing the Lord. Who and, and surround ourselves with who and what reveals Christ to us. And y'all, that's really not a secret. Who and what reveals Christ to us. We know what it is. It's this Word of God right here. And it's by the power of His Spirit. The fullness of His Spirit. It's not a mystery. We don't have to go find some Tibetan monk up on the top of a hill to tell us how to see God. We don't have to go to cross country to where we hear there's a revival going on in some other place. We need to find. We need to get into the Word of God. We need to get before our, the Lord on our faces and cry out to Him. We need to do it in Cornerstone Church. And we need to trust and believe the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the truth as it is in Christ Jesus to take Christ and reveal Him to us and set Him up on His throne and put Him up where He belongs in this church where He belongs, in your family where He belongs, in your individual life where He belongs. And so we need to occupy ourselves with with these things. And as I said, it's not a mystery. These things that would serve for me to see Jesus. To serve to reveal Christ to me. And to separate from the things that are fleshly, put them away. Separate from the things in your life that are sinful. Separate from your things that are merely peripheral. I'll call them the fluff of the church. Oh, fluffy things that don't really matter. They're Christian in name only. And some people never get past it. They live in the fluff of Christianity. They might not even be born again. Or they, maybe they're born again. They never go beyond the fluff of Christianity. They never press in to know God and the deeper things of God the way He wants them to know and wants us to know him. We have to get past all of that. Sir, we would see Jesus. Lord, we want to see Jesus. We want to see the Lord. I'll read this scripture from Ephesians. You know it. But all whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So in this sense, what is going to make Christ manifest to me? What is going to make him apparent to me? Cuz manifest means to be made clear. To make, be made apparent. Whatever doth make manifest is light. So you go to the light. The light of his words. A lamp unto our feet. A light unto our path. Second uh, Corinthians 4.6 For God who commanded the light. To shine out of darkness. That's being creation. Okay. But also through Jesus. Has shined in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. It is the Lord revealing Himself to us. But we got to separate from things that distract us. We have to separate from things, the fluff. We have to separate from obviously sinful things, carnal things. This is why we fast sometimes. This is why we come back tonight and have a prayer meeting again. We're separating from those things and we're giving concentration and full uh, devotion and attention to the Lord. And listen, you I may never, and I'll say never on this earth, in this fleshly bodies. You and I may never see the Lord like Isaiah did in chapter six. We will one day. Amen. We'll see him on his throne. We'll be joining that heavenly host, praising God. We'll see him one day and we'll see him all days after that, forever and ever. We'll be in his presence. It's going to be wonderful. We may never see the Lord like Isaiah did, and the Bible doesn't say that Isaiah ever saw the Lord like that again. He may have, but the Bible doesn't record. Did he ever saw the Lord like he did at that moment again in his life? He does now. But the question for you and I this morning, question for you and me is this. Do I see the Lord? Have you seen the Lord? Do you see the Lord? I'm talking about by faith, okay? doesn't just have to be a dream or something like that. I'm talking about by faith. By faith, do you see the Lord? Do you behold the Lord? Do I? Do we hear his voice? Do we discern his spirit in his presence and know that we are in his presence? And I'll ask you this this morning, because it's an important question. Do you desire to? Do you desire to see the Lord like that? Or is it just a neat story and you desire that about as much as you want your team to win the the game, you know, or a good meal? Do, Do you desire to see the Lord like this? Listen, when we come into a service here at Cornerstone, we do see each other and it's blessed to see other worshipers of God, saints of God. We see the preacher. We see the pulpit. We see the praise team. We see our Bibles. We hear the words and the prayers and the songs. But in all of it, we must see Jesus. This is a simple truth. But y'all, we have to. We're wasting our time. We're wasting our time if We don't. We must see Jesus. We must long to see Jesus. We must see Him by faith. And and Moses, for example, the Bible says he endured by faith. He endured as seeing Him who is invisible. There is a seeing by faith. Not only in our church, but in our daily walk with the Lord. I need to see the Lord. Now I will say this. It's an absolute fact. You say, well, how do I do that? It's an absolute fact that Isaiah... Couldn't make that happen. You know that. He said, "In the day, that the year the king Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord." It was a sovereign act of God to reveal Himself to Isaiah, like He did. Isaiah didn't manufacture the situation. He didn't manipulate things to make it happen. He didn't uh, cause it to happen. It was God's will in that moment to show. He didn't didn't plan that day and say, today I'm going to see the Lord sitting on a throne. You understand that. We all do understand that. But I will say this. I do believe that Isaiah lived in such a way prior to that, that God could show Himself to him. He lived in such a way as a, a servant of the Lord, a follower of Jehovah, day by day, separated unto the Lord, and seeking after God, that God could and would show Himself to him. I always think about this scripture in Psalm twenty-five, fourteen. I think it is, and, and where it says, "The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him." You know that scripture? It's kind of a strange word. "Secret of the Lord." Think about secrets, okay? Is with them that fear Him. The secret there means the intimate fellowship. It would be the deep things of God. Who is it for? Who is it with? Who is it revealed to? The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. Isaiah feared the Lord. Okay, and you walk with the Lord, and so I firmly believe, and the Bible bears this out I do believe that the Lord reveals Himself to those whose hearts are longing for Him. So, if you're sitting here this morning, say, Well, I have never seen the Lord in some really profound way like that, and I want to, how do I make that happen? Should I go read some books about somebody that had visions or near death experiences? And no, don't do that. The Lord reveals himself to the longing hearts of his people. He does that. He comes to those, quite frankly, he comes to those who want him. Even as Christians and believers washed in his blood and saved by his grace, he comes to those who want him. He comes to those who seek diligently for him. Jesus uh, the Lord says in Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen, and ye shall seek me. And find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. When am I going to find the Lord? You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. David, right before he died, he's given a charge to his son Solomon, who's getting ready to be the king of Israel. And David says, now Solomon, set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Set it. Make a setting of your heart like a uh, someone sailing a ship, a captain of a ship would set the sails of the ship. The wind's blowing this way. I'm going that way. I'm setting the sails and I'm hanging on. Okay? <laughs> set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Who's going to see Him? Blessed are the pure in heart. For what? They shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. He reveals Himself to those who set themselves to see Him. To seek after Him. Not somebody who throws up a little prayer. Lord, let me see you. Click, turn on the TV. See what's going on. Pick up the newspaper. See what's happening. Who set their hearts to seek Him. Those who pursue Him. Those who, listen, y'all, wait upon Him. Those that wait upon the Lord. I just want to read this Scripture. Isaiah 66, 2. But to this man will I look. The Lord saying, even to him that is of a poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. This is who he's looking to, and that's who he's looking to reveal himself to, okay? Those whose hearts and minds are set to seek the Lord. Just have a couple more scriptures. Y'all, the longing of our hearts, the longing of your heart and my heart must be, Lord, let me see you. Again, it's by faith. I might not actually picture Him sitting on a throne with His train filling in the temple. He might. We're all going to see Him like that one day. But I need to see the Lord. I need to, beyond all the songs and the praise theme and the sermon and everything, and the people blowing the blowers outside, okay? I need to see the Lord. I need to see Jesus. sir. we would see Jesus, and it has to be the longing of my heart. Lord, let me see You. Let our spiritual eyes open them up, God. Let us see You clearly. Show us, Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus. There's a scripture. I have two more and, and we'll, we'll be finished. When, when Elisha the prophet was uh, in Dothan... And he and his servant were in the tent, and the, the Syrian army had been looking for him. They wanted to get him because he kept giving it, God would give him the secrets, and he would give the secrets to the Israel generals, and they kept escaping out of the Syrians' ambushes every time. And so the Syrians find out he's in Dothan, and they, they surround the uh, the city where he is. And and Elisha's servant looks up in the morning, and wow, the whole Syrian army surrounded the city. We're done. And Elisha saw something that that man didn't see. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. There is an opening of our eyes by faith that God can do. He opens our eyes through his word. His word opens our eyes, okay, by the working of the Holy Spirit. And by faith, we lay hold on (coughs) him. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. I'm just going to stop right there. For our purposes, he opened his eyes and he saw. We need to see him high and lifted up. We need to see him as he is. And we need to pray for eyes to see him and, and, and a heart to obey whatever he shows us when he when we do see him. And you say, Well, I just don't, well, you wouldn't say this out loud, but in your hearts you might be saying, Well, I just don't long, I don't long for God in that way. I just don't. I mean, I read about David in the Psalms, as the heart panteth after the water brook, as a lone deer who's running from hunters who's being chased, as he's longing for some water from the water brook for his life. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul longs for thee as in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. When shall I see thee? He says, my flesh longs for thee. And you say, I don't, that's not me. A beautiful songs, beautiful psalms. Song. It's amazing that David was like that. But that's not me. You and I need to pray for God. To, pray for God to help us. Help us. God, help me. I pray this all the time for myself. Help me to long for you more than I do. I'm ashamed at my lack of desire for God. I do love him. Don't get me wrong. And I follow after the Lord. But compared to that, when I read in David, I I would almost feel like I'm lying if I said that. But I don't want to be lying if I say that. I want him to change me. I want him to help me. And the first place he's got to start is in your heart. And in my heart, give me a longing. I'm already saved. Give me a longing for Jesus in that way. Give me a longing like the ones I read about in the Bible. Because it's real, y'all. David was not some superhuman. He was a man after God's heart. Be after God's heart. Be a man or a woman or a young person after the Lord's heart. Seek after Him. He'll show us. Amen? I'll close with this. The Bible speaks when Jesus was born, and it was the, the eight days old, they would bring Him to the temple and dedicate Him to the Lord and he'd be circumcised and all that, uh, that there was a, it says there was a man named Simeon. You know the story. A just and a devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. So he's waiting for this. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It was, the Holy Ghost showed it. You're not going to die, Simeon. You've been longing for the consolation or the comfort of the Savior of Israel. You're not going to die until your eyes see Him. And He was brought by the Spirit, or that just means led by the Holy Spirit, into the temple at the exact same moment that Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus in and dedicating Him to the Lord after the custom, the Jewish custom. And then He he takes the baby and He blesses Him. And He says, Now let, let thy servant depart in peace according to Thy Word. Go on and call me home now. For mine eyes have seen Thy salvation. We need to see the Lord, church. And people like Simeon, and people like David, and people like Isaiah, He's going to reveal to that longing heart. If your heart's not longing enough, ask God for a heart that is longing enough for God. And then ask Him, once the heart's longing, you'll be asking, Oh God, I want to see You. I don't want to just go to church this morning. I don't want to just go to prayer and pray prayer requests. Thank God for all of that. But I want to see the Lord. I want to see You, Lord. Please, please let me see You. Show Yourself to Me. He might direct you to study His Word. He might direct you to uh, go to the altar. He might direct you whatever. But He's going to reveal Himself to that longing heart. He's going to create the longing heart. And then He's going to fulfill that longing heart. Y'all stand with me this morning.